Hey everyone, welcome to the Breakthrough Breakdown. In this podcast, we'll be breaking down the sermon from the previous week, diving into theological discussions, and even having some fun. Make sure to join us every Wednesday on Spotify, Apple Music, and download our Zion Lutheran Church app for more updates. And with that, we hope you enjoy the Breakthrough Breakdown. Welcome, everybody. This is Pastor Jason with the Breakthrough Breakdown, and we are talking about week four of the series God Is. I'm here with... Kate Hopple, and I do kids ministry. Derek Crawford, I'm the executive pastor. Casey Schlichty, and I work in social media. Yeah, you do. (laughs) (laughs) And, And the person who doesn't talk... Is, is John Quigley, but he's always there. Hi, how's it going? Oh, did you get a microphone now? Yeah, I can attach the road mic to the, the soundboard. Oh, that's awesome. All right, well, so John is there technically, so now he gets to throw things in. Well, hey, we, uh, we are in week four of our series, God Is, and we've been talking about this last Sunday was talking about that God is king. Now, interestingly, as we've been going through this, we we're using the Lord's Prayer as kind of our guide to understand God's heart, character, Um, really what he wants for his people and how he wants us to see him. And that happens through prayer. Uh, The first four kind of laid that foundation. And in our sermon read-through, for those of you who are listening to the first time, we do a sermon read-through at least once a week where we kind of bring the sermon before a team of people. And it allows us to process and kind of feel out what's working. But one of the things we talked about is that the first two verses of the Lord's Prayer are kind of like laying the foundation of a house. They're building on something. And we, we talked about the four corners, uh, community, family, God's character, God's fame. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, when we talk about, and I, I want to just kind of open with this, when we talk about prayers and invitation for God to do something in us, to us, and through us, what does it look like for you guys when you are praying? What happens in you when you're coming before God on stuff? Is it something where... You do more of a list of requests or how much prayer, how much time do you actually spend about God kind of searching your heart working in you? I think if I'm like actually and honestly self-aware and a vulnerable state. I appreciate that you're being actually honest. (laughs) Um, Then, yeah, sometimes it's hard not to get into that like vending machine, magic genie mentality of God. And you you ask for things. You're like, oh, please, please, please give me this thing that I want. Um, But I I feel like when I actually... feel the most connected or that I'm actually doing what I understand of prayer and it being an invitation for God to do something in us, to us and through us. That's when I'm, I'm really sitting down and I'm really intentional and I'm, I'm praising God. You know, I do kids ministry. So we always think of those things that can help kids understand how to have a conversation with um, God as prayer or like even our soap when it's like scripture, observation, yeah. application and prayer. When we do prayer, we do P R A Y where it's praise, repent, ask, and yes. And yeah. we do things like that. And so when I can intentionally see myself taking my time to talk to God and it's more than just the ask, that's just one part of my yeah. prayer. When I think it's so easy. I mean, usually even my prayer requests, think about that. <laughs> And I get that. Like yeah. when you come before a king, people usually come not to have a conversation, but to bring their requests before the king. Even that's that's kind of an ancient world of way of looking at things. But I think a lot of times when we talk about prayer, that's usually how we approach it. Bring your prayer list. Here are the things I'm praying for. Um, how about you, Derek? What, do you, what, what does it look like for you in prayer? How Do you spend more time asking or is there a practice that you do to kind of connect and hear God's heart for you? Yeah, I don't. I don't see request as a bad thing. Uh, I think what it's showing is that you're submitting to the authority of God. Yeah. Like when you come to him as, with a request, it's because you know he's there for you. You know he's he delivers. You know that he has your back. And I think that's so. When I think about that, I don't always view it as a bad thing. Now, if I'm just asking it willy nilly of like, I want this, 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 and this, that's not a bad thing, or that that's not a good thing. But if I truly am coming at it like. I'm requesting it from God because I know he's going to deliver. And I think yeah. that's a different perspective. So, uh, And it's I'll, biblical. Yeah. I mean, and that's kind of what Jesus is doing, too, when you acknowledge that, like, our God in heaven, who's our Father, you're acknowledging who God is, and yeah. then you bring your ask. Well, and, and I would agree, Derek. I think that sometimes we want to be careful. It's, there's nothing wrong with bringing. God wants us to bring our requests, just like I want my children to. And so I, I appreciate that, that you're, let's not put that as a bad thing. But if that's all we do, it's a one-dimensional prayer life and God wants more than that. 
What do you, is there anything you do apart from asking, like what are some things that you do in prayer that are more relational in nature? Well, I have to go into it uh, reminding myself not to do all the talking. So <laughs> because part of prayer is listening, and I, I really do believe that, and it's so easy to forget that part. It's so easy to just um, go on with with what you what you want or like what's going on with your day, even if it's not about what you want and you're just doing the talking, if you're not willing to listen and let that that feeling come over you or that change come over you, like, I don't know, it's hard to describe, but uh, I think that's kind of, mine's a mindset that when I go into prayer, like, yes, I can just, I can fake it. That's really easy to do. Yeah. But if I'm truly surrendering and truly submitting, it's a whole different sh- frame of mind. And it's, you can, I can feel it. I can sense it. I know when I'm doing it the way where it's truly, it feels like a connection versus if I'm just doing it. Yeah. Well, when, when I was younger, we learned a different one, acts, oh, sure. adoration, I've confession, thanksgiving, supplication, which who uses the word supplicate? Right. I I'm can't su- imagine a preschooler saying that. I'm <laughs> supplicating today. Like, what? <laughs> right. Um, I, I know one of the things that for me I've had to work on is realizing that there is that still small voice, that ability to hear God. And usually I don't leave enough room and space to actually hear God um, because I am doing so much talking. How about you, Case? What do you do? I mean, is there anything or is this, where have you grown in this area? Or is this something you practice? I I tend to honestly do some like old school Catholic prayers. Yeah, that's right. Because you were raised Catholic. I was. I was a cradle Catholic. Um, and so. <laughs> you, was it all willy nilly? By the way, Derek, the minute you said that, I'm like, you just aged like 15 years in my book. <laughs> oh, that's hip. Willy nilly. All, all the kids are saying willy nilly. He would know. He does spend the most time with the kids. Okay. That's <laughs> they cool. like it when I talk like that. Well, yeah, because you remind me <laughs> of their grandpa. Probably. <laughs> it never works. Um, but yeah, no, I was definitely raised in a very like traditional church with prayer and everything like that. And I still, for me, it's helpful to have tradition in a sense because I've always kind of struggled with prayer. I don't. I was definitely raised in the mindset of that prayer was selfish, where if you if you needed something, God would give it to you. You don't need to ask for it. Um, and so I still sometimes will catch myself in that where I either am like over talking and I'm just like this, 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 this. Oh, and by the way, like this is what I had for breakfast today. I'm sure you want to know. And but just like go on and on and on. And so for me, it's helpful. Like when I wake up in the morning, I'll usually do the Lord's Prayer or some Hail Marys and stuff like that. It's helpful for so me. So you still to rock have, the Hail Marys? I do still rock the Hail Marys. I, okay. <laughs> I actually don't know the Hail Mary. I wasn't raised Catholic. So really? what is the Hail Mary? For those, for those of you non-Catholics, who, who knows the whole Hail Mary? Absolutely not. Okay, I'm go. Okay, can you do do the Hail Mary for us as our oh, resident, gosh. Ro- our, our resident cradle Catholic, cradle Catholic. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou. Oh wow. See, it's not in the Bible. No. So. <laughs> blessed art thou amongst children. And blessed. See, this is the thing. If I'm not actually in it, I do not remember it. Well, okay. Someone's got to look that up so we blessed can do it. Blessed art thou amongst but, children. Blessed are the. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll it's like you, on the spot too. It's, it's okay. Like I, I totally like put you on the spot. It's fine. Well, and and you know what? I have a friend. I have a dear brother of mine who uh, was an Episcopal priest for many years, and he's recently become Anglican. And he gave me the the um, the Book of Common Prayers, mm. and he, I know he does a lot of he does a lot of ritual prayer. And for him, he's talked about the beauty that it's allowed him. Um, there's a consistency. But I think the intentionality is how do you stay mindful in it? I love that. I like the idea of having, because that's what, when Derek, everybody has kind of mentioned that too, of the the hard part of prayer is the listening. Because yeah. if you're not, I've never, I was not raised in the church. So to me, prayer was more of like a, the vending machine. It's hard to get away from that. And so I try to be more intentional, but you're right. You have to sit and be still and listen. You're like, yeah, but what does that mean? What's supposed to happen? Is there going to be like a lightning strike that comes down? Am I going (laughs) to physically hear a voice? How do I feel? Like you can't, you can't teach that to someone. You can't explain that to someone. And it probably feels and seems different to every Christian because that's that relational part. So when you think of like having these common prayers that can help you be intentional, but also take a little bit of yourself out of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, and, then, and I think Derek, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago that there is something beautiful about liturgy and it's connecting us to something that's outside of ourselves. Yeah. So I think the one, one downside I would see, or I've seen with um, contemporary non-denominational where there's no historical backing to it. 
you can sometimes fall into just saying whatever you feel and losing that sense of beauty that comes with, with tradition, with knowing that we're part of something bigger. And that's where I still think it's important to say the Lord's Prayer. And I still think it's important um, to have some of those, those prayers that allow us to connect. I think, again, we talked about this, might have been last week or the week before, is the danger is when it just becomes ritual and that yeah. ritual leads to a rut. Yeah. Uh, bringing us back. Rot turns into rut. Yeah. 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 Uh, did, you, did you get it? Okay. I did. All right. Casey's, Casey's going to redeem herself here. I'm All ready. Right. Here we go. So it's Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Jesus, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. What was the last part? Uh, pray for us now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And at the hour of our death. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, and, wow, what a like, pick-me-up. Just kidding. What a, what a great <laughs> prayer. No, but like traditionally in the Catholic Church, you would go and you would do confession, and yeah. then they would usually say, oh, you're going to go home, you're going to do 13 Hail Marys, and then you would hold your rosary in this like certain way, and you would say it 13 times, and that was your way, for, that was your way to repent. From your sins like penance wow i just why well, I, I knew the penance part yeah well and i know like my friend i was telling you about he uh, he prays through the rosary mm-hmm. yeah. because oh. anglican <gasps> and episcopal are technically consider themselves catholic just not catholic right yeah meaning that they're part of the universal catholic but they're actually wanting to get back to the restored catholic church mm-hmm. but in, there's still a rift yeah. there and so he prays for that he actually told me he's like yeah we pray for the unification of the church back mm-hmm. to catholic proper every day yeah. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. That kind of blew my mind. At some point, I'd love to have them on this podcast. That would be, be cool. I love the concept of rosary beads, by the way, like made out of rose petals and like why they use them. Mm-hmm. So cool. So this kind of takes it a little bit different direction. But I, to me, it uh, prayer, I don't think, I, I wouldn't want our people listening to worry about like how you pray so much. Like to me, any prayer you do towards God, he's going to love it. He's going to, he wants if it's to, directed at him. he wants to talk to you about it. He wants to, uh, he wants to know what's going on in your life. So if you're just spewing about your life, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. I think what the Lord's prayer does is teaches us how to fully connect in that relationship. It yeah. makes it so you, you don't miss everything that prayer could offer. Yeah. Because I think if you just spew one sidedness, I don't think you're going to get the full, benefit or the full effect of what prayer is. And I think the Lord's prayer helps teach us of like, what else is there? What else should you be thinking about as you're uh, praying? Well, I think it moves us from one dimensional to even past two dimensional, three dimensional. It's a holistic approach. And and I would say it even gets to a four dimensional, which is, you know, we have the tangible we can touch, but now we're getting into the heavenlies. We're getting into things that are Mm -hmm. abstract that only come through prayer. Oh, like God's kingdom? Well, I know what. It's like we're going to talk about that today. <laughs> well, and, and that, so we talked about that, that, you know, the first the first couple of weeks we talked about that ours reminds us that we're in community. When he says our father, the father reminds us that we're family because of our relationship with Christ and faith in Jesus. Um, that we also realize that he is a perfect heavenly father and all the characteristics and attributes of God. That's why we worship him. And when we say hallowed be his name, that idea of hallowed means to make his name famous. But it's this next part that gets really dangerous. And we talked about that is uh, all the other parts, you don't even have to be, I mean, you technically have to be a Christian to say our father, but even the demons acknowledge that God is God. Even the demons acknowledge that God's people are his people. That's why he why they hate them. That's why Satan hates them. Um, but this next part requires you to actually have a desire for God's for God to move in your life and in the world, which is your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That you can't actually pray that without it inviting some sort of danger either to yourself or the world around you. Uh, There's a real threat there. So I want to real quickly, let's talk about that kingdom language. I mean, we don't live in a world with kings and queens here in America. I mean, if you're over in England, uh, other parts of the world we do, but in America, we don't have that. And we talked about that on Sunday is... Part of the difficulty we have is sometimes the language of the Bible doesn't translate to who we are. Um, when you think about the difference between what's the, what's the difference between a president and a king when it comes to leadership, like what comes to mind for you guys? I think for me, I mean, even if we look back at like history and we go back to the first president, that's why George Washington left was because he noticed he was becoming too much of a king. Yeah. And so I feel like in America, we have kind of this culture of. I don't really know how to find the right word for this, but I feel like in America we have this culture of kind of like a problem with authority. 
with the same authority over and over and over and over. And that's why we have presidents that switch out every four years. And that's why we have or eight years or eight years. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's why we have certain rules on that is because there is this kind of culture in America of wanting to fight against authority or the same authority. Yeah. And I think to me, I think Americans, we do have, we do have Kings. The problem is it's not the president, it's ourselves. Ooh, Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you said that. Like we make ourselves our own little kingdom that we live in. And the problem with that is anytime you make yourself the king, there's no room for Jesus. There's no room for God to reign. And so you could say, I surrender to, to, to King Jesus all you want. But as long as we are continuing to put ourselves first, making ourselves king, there's no room for Jesus to reign. Yeah. And I think that's what it comes down to. I think Americans, we know king, we know kingship better than any, any monarch that's ever been here. It's just we are make ourselves that, that most important person. Yeah. yeah or well, even I, our desires. You know, insert here, job, career, money. Yeah. Well, it's whatever is the throne. And, and I think that the big difference, and, and we talked about this on Sunday, was the king language when it says your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus is actually talking in a world where Caesar and emperor reigned. And in our country, if our president said, I don't like you, Okay, <laughs> so what? Mm-hmm. If a Caesar didn't like you, he could literally cut off your head, kill you. I mean, all those things took place. But I, I like what you're saying there, Derek, because I think one of the things that we forget is that while we don't use the language of king and kingdom very often, we really do put things on the throne of our heart. It's usually ourselves or something else. And I think one of the key differences between a president and a king, president doesn't sit on a throne because a throne represents a seat of power. Um, we actually, we, we have thrones in our hearts, something that sits, that rules over us. And usually it's either ourselves or a sin. And here Jesus is saying, no, the father needs to be king. And then obviously after Jesus's death and resurrection, the father hands all authority over to Jesus. So now it's King Jesus who reigns. Um, Yeah. I think too, with like King, Queen, Caesar, Emperor, however you want to say it, it comes with an absolute authority that is usually by birth where it's like, no, I was born into this and my, my family forever will reign in this. And they always have and always will. It kind of comes with this absolute authority. And so when Jesus, when we say that Jesus is King, it's kind of acknowledging that divinity of his, where it's like, no, he was born into this. It's this, that it was, it is a God given right to be Lord because that's who he is. It, it speaks more of just where he's at. It speaks more of who he is and always will be. Yeah. Well, in Colossians one actually describes it and says that he was firstborn of all creation and that all basically everything submits to him. But that word firstborn doesn't mean he was created. The language there actually implies that, no, he has the rightful heir because mm. he's always existed. Like one of the one of the um, it's a heresy. It's a false teaching is that Jesus was created by God, the father. But Jesus was always existed. And so even that language, like he wasn't born into it in the sense of he had a physical birth, though he did in the Virgin Mary. Right. But he was always eternally existent with God, the father and God, the spirit. But his role was son. Yeah. To be a dwelling place among us. Yes. Yeah. And when we, yeah, talking about like the kingdoms and things like that and how that. Yeah. I, and I think uh, like the people of that time in the Roman the Roman Empire, let's say, they didn't have, they didn't really have a voice into whether or not they wanted to fall under Caesar's rule. But here, I think there's almost like this urging of like, where this, it's almost like you're agreeing, like your kingdom come. It's almost as you're praying, like it is that, that, that idea of submitting to it. It's like, it's, you have a choice in it. Like you're, you're wanting to be a part of it when it's Caesar. I don't think that's there. It's just, I'm the authority over you. I think this prayer offers a, a little bit different approach to that of like, uh, yeah, you are king. Like, yes, I recognize that and I submit to that. I I don't know. I, I like this part. I love the your kingdom come portion of it. It's my favorite yeah. part of the prayer, to be honest, right next to the deliver us from evil. That's my other favorite one. But um, I think one of the things that's that's critical in this is that one day every knee will bow and tongue and confess that Jesus is Lord, whether or not it wants to, but that's in heaven. That's when Jesus fully returns and everything is submitted under his authority. But here on earth, until that time comes, people have a choice to follow King Jesus. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that in itself, because you know, you're right, in Caesar, in the, uh, the Roman Empire, Pax Romana, it seemed like this great, beautiful thing, as long as you were on the side of Rome. <laughs> right, <laughs> like yep. If you were against Rome, 
the, the sword of Rome also came with Pax Romana. And Jesus kind of uses similar language in Revelation, but even in Revelation, I love this idea that John, I think it's John chapter 3, 4, 1, I'd have to look at it, or Revelation, sorry, Revelation chapter 1 or 4, I don't remember which. Um, but John hears this voice, and he's absolutely certain it's going to be the Lion of Judah. And when he turns around, it's the Lamb that was slain. Yeah. Like, I, and I love that imagery because here, every, you know, even John is thinking he's going to turn around and see this massive lion with yes. blood dripping from his teeth and the conquering, you know, the conquering king who's going to slay God's enemies. And instead he turns around and sees the lamb that was slain. Yeah. And, and it's the kingdom of God is just, it comes about differently, which it's is an upside down kingdom. Yeah, it really is. And it doesn't come through violence. And that's, I think that's your point. Is that in Rome and even in America, like America, when it expanded, it didn't expand through peace. No. We expanded through violence. Every human kingdom expands through violence. Yeah. I don't know of one human kingdom that's expanded through peace and relationship. It's always, I'm going to take, I'm going to rule. But Jesus teaches us a different way to love our enemies yeah. and to lay that down and to choose peace and subservience is how you win. And it's such a, and, and that's such a different way is, when we look at what the kingdom is supposed to be, Jesus said, listen, my kingdom's not of this earth. Again, we talked about this on Sunday, John 18. He's, you know, they come to arrest Jesus and Peter's response is to go fully human. What, what does everybody else do when there's a threat? He pulls out a sword, which actually it makes it sound like he mysteriously or, you know, hit a sword. No, it's pretty common to keep a sword by your side for protection. So Peter wasn't weird for doing that. But you can tell he's not a soldier. Because as soon as they try to take Jesus, the high priest is there and his servant. And what does Peter do? He tries to defend Jesus, but he doesn't go after a soldier because I think Peter realized he'd get his butt handed to him. <laughs> he doesn't even go for the high priest. He goes for the high priest's servant <laughs> and cuts off the dude's ear. And Jesus says, no, that's not what this is about. And then when he goes to trial, even when Pontius Pilate is coming after Jesus and questioning him and can't find anything to charge him with, he finally goes after Jesus on the issue of treason. And he basically says, hey, do you, they say you're the king of, Jew, of the Jews. Who do you say you are? And Jesus is so wise, and he kind of acknowledges, well, who do you say I am? Like, mm -hmm. that's what some people call me. But then he makes this comment, and he says, listen, my kingdom is not of this world. Yeah. It's from another place. Yeah. And even though we don't use swords anymore, I still think about how do we even, how do we bring about peace in most places? Through the yeah. sword. I love that that you bring up that scripture because I'm thinking of like kingdoms and our idea of kingdoms and you were saying like they're always taken by violence yeah. and you know you insert one for the next one it's all the same and we have that like biblical concept of like Babylon right and when Derek was talking about that like we all have our kings it's like that's that Babylon mentality of like we're all subject to this sinful human space and this human kingdom but then there's this heavenly kingdom there's god's space yeah. you know and talking about when jesus is saying like my kingdom's not here you can't be a part of my kingdom actually without me you yeah. need me the place where god's dwelling and humanity overlap is me and we've had that in the garden of eden and we get that again in the end and that's why like revelation is like finally at the Bring end back yeah yeah and and jesus gives us that opportunity to have little pockets of god's dwelling in us like well, that's it, sorry go no go ahead go ahead and i think that connects so a part of that also that verse in uh during his trial or whatever, it, they basically asked the high priest about, uh, you know, is this your king? And, he, and they basically reply, he's no king of ours. Yeah. And it's so interesting because if you track back through all of all of the Bible, we are constantly rejecting our, our God as king. We're, yeah. Whether it's in the Garden of Eden where we're like, no, we want to be God. Yeah. And so we'll eat whatever dang fruit we want to. <laughs> and so, you know, we want to be God there when we leave Egypt and we're like, no, we want different bread. This bread is not good we don't we're sick of quail or, yeah, yeah. Or, you know <laughs> they go up onto the mountain moses goes up on the mountain in 40 days we're lost and we need to boil down our gold and make us a jewelry like throughout make history, a golden calf yeah, yeah we are constantly uh rejecting god as king and it's so it's just it's so interesting that that's one of the main sections of this prayer is that reminder that 
No, he is. Jesus yeah. is king. And, and you I want think that. Yeah, and I think that's a reminder of how humanity, from the Israelites even to in America today, where we continue to reject him. Well, and, kind of, oh, go sorry. Ahead. I was going to say this kind of stubbornness that I feel like is, it's shown throughout all of history and especially in culture today, there's this kind of stubbornness of, oh, this needs to happen. Oh, does it? You know, and oh, it's of, that biblical term of like stiff-necked people. Well, yeah. do you know what the you know what the word stiff-neck comes from? The idea is, it's a king saying bow to me, and you're refusing to bow, and so the king is saying no, you're going to bow, and it's refusing to bow. You stiffen your neck because yeah. you refuse to bow in honor to a king to authority, and there is there is that um, there's that human tr- uh, desire within us that we want to be king. And I think that's why part of this, this is the foundation is I actually can't truly pray the Lord's prayer until I admit that I'm not king. Yeah. I can't, I can say it all I want to, but if I don't actually mean that God is the king of my life, I cannot expect to have his will be done because otherwise it's always got to be mine. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the hard part about this. Why it's the foundation is even as his family members, it's like my children. I love my children. My children are stiff necks sometimes. <laughs> I tell them to do stuff. I don't want to do that. And they whine and they complain and they grumble. And it's one of the themes that we see throughout scripture is the grumbling of the Israelites. Well, we grumble. I grumble. My kids grumble. Mm-hmm. And here you cannot truly get the rest of the Lord's prayer, even here, getting God to hear you. So I, I love Derek when you said, you know, if even if you're just talking to God, there's no wrong way to pray as long as you're praying to God. Even if it is that I'm just telling you about my day, because I love sometimes I love when my kids my kids just talk on and on and about their day, right? Yeah. And I think God delights the fact that we want a conversation, or if you're frustrated, or yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. But there's also got to come a point in time when it's got to move to you. Know, okay, now I need to talk to you. Immaturity. And it's that's the difference between immature Christianity and mature maturing Christianity. Yeah. Let me say it that way. Is I I can actually point to some moments in my life where I realized that I wasn't coming to God as king. I still wanted to be king. I still wanted my will to be done. And that's what my prayer requests were. My prayer requests were merely me saying, God, do this for me, do this do for me, do this for me, do this for me. And if you do, I'll believe in you more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And if you don't, well, then I'll question whether or not you really exist. Yeah. <laughs> One of the problems that I see uh, in the church today, and I, I'm not going to name names. I could, but no. It's me. It's <laughs> no. fine. You can blame me. Uh, <laughs> but one of the things I see is that that, that, second, that second part there, the your will be done, I think we're all okay with God being king until it goes against what we want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that you see that in churches. I think you see that in congregations. Uh, when people get mad, when people like, you know. That'll oh, preach. Oh, yeah. I, I will, I'll love you to be king except for oh, I'm busy right now. Yeah. Or I'd love you to be king, but, you know, that person's a jerk, so I shouldn't have to. Like, I don't need to forgive them. Like, you know, I feel like there's it's so much of like. Yeah, you're king. Oh, but it goes against what I want. So, yeah. And that comes in the first part of this is that. It's like we've all sat through sermons and went, I wish so-and-so should hear this. Yeah. So, oh, and, and sure. Like passive-aggressive Christianity. Passive-aggressive, yes. And then we do that with prayer. We're like, oh, I'm really praying for somebody, so-and-so. When the Lord's Prayer first has to start with my heart, yeah. with what God, is, am I letting Jesus be the Lord of my life? Yeah. Well, that's something that, like, I, I'm going to call out to Bob Goff again out into the interwebs. But Bob Goff. <laughs> Bob Goff, if you're listening, we're really, really trying to get you on our Kate podcast. Hopple. Kate Hoppel. Kate really Hoppel. Zion, well, we love you. We, we want you to come and speak please. at our church, please. Okay. So he says, in one of his books that he writes, I think it's everybody always, he says, in, in a situation where you feel like somebody needs to be more loving, it's probably you. Yeah. And it, that really struck a chord with me where it's that passive aggressive, passive aggressive aggressive Christianity. (laughs) (laughs) I just, just own it. Um, where it's like, I feel like I need to pray for this other person or, you know, call out all the bad things first. And it's like, no, my heart needs to be right first. Well, and that gets back to this kingdom language is to say your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I got saved in a Baptist church and don't get me wrong. I am so grateful. Um, I can tell you that those six years that I was part of First Baptist Church of El Cajon, I came to faith there. Um, my spiritual mother was there. Um, my brothers in Christ. I mean, it was key to my formation. But one of the things that happened in that, and I'm not going to say because anybody outright taught it to me. It was more caught than taught, if that makes sense. Yeah. Was that to pray his, his kingdom come, his will be done, was more like, well, we're just waiting for Jesus to come back. Ooh. 
And and it wasn't about, no, I can actually see his kingdom come now. It, his kingdom wants to invade the earth here and now. It wants to break through the world of darkness, through the principalities and all those things. It was always just the future. Yeah. And I think my everything kind of opened up for me when I realized we actually have the opportunity to see parts of God's kingdom happen in our world right here and now. Mm. And it starts with me. And that's why when Jesus says the kingdom is within you, yeah. it's a, technically the word is among you. We put in our hearts, but that's actually yeah. not a good rendering of it. Literally, is Jesus saying, no, the kingdom is already here. You see these people who have made me king? Yeah. You see these people who are living this way? That's the kingdom. The kingdom is no longer about some future event. It's not in a building. It's yeah. not about a, a country or a city. The kingdom of God is wherever God's people are. Yes. And they're living as Jesus is king. And part of the early 2000s, a big shift was helping people realize that the church actually is meant to be an influential voice in culture. Now, that's not the gospel. The gospel is not a gospel of influence where the only thing the gospel accomplishes is social reform. That's called the social gospel. I don't agree with that. I don't believe in that. But I do believe social influence is one of the byproducts of the gospel. It's the natural thing. When we as the church actually love our neighbors as Christ loved us, as we love ourselves, that's influence. And that's going to change culture. When you guys think about, when you think about what does it mean, what, what would it look like to see God's kingdom come here in, let's say, Clear Lake, Northern Iowa, okay, Cerro Gordo County. I'm assuming there are people who don't live in our area listening to, listening to this. So apply this to your area. What would it look like to see God's kingdom invade where we are, what would that look like for you guys? Well, I think if so, I think if you look at throughout the book of Matthew, I think it, I think the whole book is kind of pointing towards what the kingdom should look like, and it uses Jesus as that example of what what it should reflect and what it should look like. Uh, but I, to me, it sums it down to one basic concept: is how you treat others, yeah. and whether or not you lift others up. If you humble yourselves, if you you know, if you treat people with respect, it seems to me like that is what the kingdom is all about. Uh, it's it, the, but it's hard because you know you even talked about the dualistic nature of it of that. Yeah, it's happening right now, but it is also going to be fulfilled. In There's the a both future. end, yeah. And so yeah. it is a complicated. And so I, I would say that if if I'm hearing this sermon. I think it would be, or this topic, it is hard. It is a hard mm. thing to realize of what it, what does kingdom mean? What would it mm. look like today in Clear Lake? Uh, but if I had to summarize it, I think that's probably the, the best way I would do it is modeling the uh, character of Jesus, but in regard to kind of how we treat others, how we love others. And in our neighbors, love, in you know, our yeah. enemies, everybody. And I think that's the hard part of it too, is that yeah, we love loving our friends. We love loving our family, but it's much harder when it's the people we don't like or yeah. the person that doesn't share the same beliefs as me or the same uh, political ideas as me or even the same social class as me. Yeah. It's it's harder. For some reason, it's harder for us to love in those areas. Well, and, yeah. And, yeah. and I think we can even take it a step further, and, and I want to have you share something that's going on at Zion. Sometimes it's not even people that we don't love. Sometimes it's people that we don't get immediate benefit from. Mm. <laughs> because we, we have this reciprocity mentality, like, I'll do this for you if I get something in return. Yeah, scratch and, my back, I'll scratch yours. Yeah, yeah. And, and one of the things that we're, we're really trying to do as a culture here at Zion, because it's a kingdom culture. It's not even, it's not a Zion culture, it's kingdom culture. Yeah is um, we're opening up our building. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So our kids' ministry space, we have two campuses, um, and at our Zion on 4th location, we have the kids' ministry space and the top two floors of our church, and we call it the harbor. And these spaces only get used about an hour a week for kids' ministry right now when we do Wednesday night programming because our Sunday programming is at our other campus. So what we did is we opened up our church on Tuesdays for these kids' ministry spaces, these awesome classrooms with great resources. Um, they're just built for kids. It's kids ministry spaces. Yeah. And this uh, classical conversation school, this homeschooling cohort community of moms, students, tutors, and teachers need a space to get together of about 80 people. It's 28 families and all these students from preschool through high school are going to be in our building on Tuesdays. It's going to be loud. It's going to be wonderful. And it's, we don't get anything from them. They're they're just using our spaces, using God's spaces to grow and and thrive. And that's how it should be. And I think we, you know, one, we all, we want to be careful not to share these things to, oh, look at how cool Zion is. No. This is this is more about 
kingdom value, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? It's it's that kingdom culture. And I think that's hard is because, and I'll tell you, there's a part of me when that happens, I'm like, oh, but it's going to be so loud in here now. Uh. Yeah, it sure is. And, and right. And then <laughs> and I have to check my own heart because, yeah. well, it's just like in sermons or services, I had, to, I had to check my own heart in this. I remember I was in a service where there was a kid crying, and this was years ago. <laughs> and I got really frustrated because I'm like, oh, they're distracting. And then I'm like, wait, Jesus taught in front of families. There were no yeah. children's ministries. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody was there. <laughs> if your church ain't crying, it's dying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and in that kingdom culture, it's how do we do things even if we get nothing in return? Yeah. And that's what sacrificial love looks like. The sacrifice of love. If I love and I know something, I'm going to get something in return. That's not actually sacrificial. Yeah. And even Jesus, Jesus died knowing that there were some people who would still reject him, still deny him as Lord. And even on the cross, he said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And he still offered that. But how easy it is to assume that even in church, this happens in church all the time. Well, what benefit is it to us? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I think that goes back to kingdom. I know one of the things that I, for me to see kingdom invade, and it kind of goes a little bit off of what you're talking about, Derek. I would love to see Zion. I'd love to see our people become a place of influence in a healthy way. And we talked about this on Sunday is that the world says you use, uh, you use power to influence people, meaning you force people, you twist the arm, you exert fear, money, control, gender, whatever else it might be to insert influence. But the kingdom of God doesn't operate the way the kingdom of man does. The kingdom of God uses influence to bring power. And that's how Jesus, Jesus had all the power and he, yet he subjugated it. He, he denied it so he could come and love and serve. And what would it look like for us as a church? If our people, when we went to our work environments, uh, when we go out into the park, we influence because of what Jesus has done in us and our desire to love our city. And we use that natural desire to put other people first and things that don't benefit us in the hopes that God works and moves in the heart, not to manipulate, not to, well, if I do this, maybe they'll come to Jesus, but just simply because it's a God call. It's something God calls us to be. Well, you know that sometimes when you have those on the other side of like, I don't, that's a lot of work. I don't want to have to do that. I don't want to have to fight against the principalities of darkness. I don't want to have to like fight against the Babylon of the world, Mm -hmm. these powers at be. But there's this, it's reminded me of like this story of this little girl on a beach and there's all these um, marooned starfish on the beach. And she starts throwing all the starfish back into the ocean. And this old man, he's like totally a cynic. And he comes over and he's like, what are you doing? You're never going to throw them all back. Like, why are you wasting? your time she said threw that one back saved that one I saved that one and she still keeps going and he's kind of moved by this and he starts helping her and then these people come down they see them and they eventually this community comes together and saves all this starfish right it's so overwhelming when you start to think that I have to save I have to bring the kingdom here and it's like no it's well, it's that's, not your job to. That's it's not God's your job. Kingdom. I'm just one little pocket dwelling of God's kingdom. And when I ask for that to come, God's, your will be done, your kingdom come. To me, what that looks like is it starts with me. And I start saving one little starfish at a time, one little act of love and care. But it's, it's love others and loving God, loving mm-hmm. God's kingdom and doing what he's asked of me. And making sure that 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 keeps going, that keeps spreading. Yeah. yeah. This kind of reminds me of Jonah. Oh, Jonah. Just kind of the like the passive aggressive Christianity, and like not wanting to do something. And he then wasn't God even passive aggressive. To do it. He was just straight aggressive. I'm not doing that, Lord. I'm <laughs> he was running aggressive, away. Aggressive. Yeah, aggressive, aggressive. Yeah, but I mean, for me, I feel like especially with the "Your will be done." There's, I mean, I'll be the first to admit to my stubbornness. A little bit. Um, but I feel like it's it's a huge culture shift, and especially in America right now, there's there's so much stubbornness. Yeah. And it's been that way for, forever. For well, that's history. human that's human nature. It's I don't human think nature. that's American. I think that's all that's people. human nature. There's just there's a stubbornness to it. And so when you have somebody I know so many people in my life that are like, Yeah, I think there's something there, but he's really big and scary. So I'm just gonna do my thing, he's gonna do his thing and we're not gonna cross paths. Just because it's it's terrifying to have to give up the control of a situation in order to have this person be king of your life. Yeah. So uh, on your on your 
when you stated about influence, and uh, I I admit from a decade ago that I I actually had it wrong. Like I viewed it wrong about about my life because one of the things when I went on my first mission trip is I came back and I'm just, I was gung ho and I'm like, man, I just did a whole week where I did nothing but for God. And I just was like, I need to keep doing that. I need to find more of that in my life. So then I went on my second trip this time. The first one was to Haiti. This second time was to Peru. And I, I found, I felt it again where I'm just like, this is what I need. And that's when I accepted the job to, to move from engineering into youth ministries where I get to live that out every single day where I get to chase after mm-hmm. God. But one of my biggest regrets I don't know if regrets the right word but one of the things I wish I would have done is what would it have looked like to you know experience or show what God looked like as an engineer what would it have looked like in my workplace if I would have uh I don't know. Even if it, I'm not saying I'd go into a, you know, one of the meetings and be like, yeah, I love Jesus. But if I could have expressed that or shown that or revealed that in the workplace, I think it would have, I, I don't know. I wish I would have done that. I you don't totally have to be in relate ministry. to that. I, I disagree because then you wouldn't be the executive oh, pastor yeah, no of ministry. <laughs> but I see yeah. what you're saying. No. You know, I but came you from the bank and I was doing a lot of stuff in our community through the Chamber of Commerce and being on a lot of different committees, committees that were not church related at all and serving in that way and being the church outside of the church I feel like now I'm almost put in this like pocket bubble of ministry that almost keeps keeps me in there there actually is um you know I mean it's it's interesting that you look in uh in the world and world around us in general We've bought into this story that the only way you can do ministry is if you're in, if you're in full-time ministry. Mm. And so what we do is we have people who might have been called to be an engineer. And we say, no, no, you have a calling in ministry. You need to leave that and come and do that. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus did that with a bunch of fishermen and a tax collector and everybody else. But that's not everybody. The Apostle Paul did tent making because he realized that, one, he didn't want to be a burden on anybody. So I, I think there's like, for me, I knew I was called to ministry. I knew my calling was to the church. Um, one, I'm, I don't have an engineering mind. I don't, that's why I need Derek. <laughs> um, but I knew at a very early age, no, my calling was to the church, but I love the world and I have to be very intentional about building relationships outside of the church. Mm-hmm. Because that's, I think, the, the biggest threat to pastors is we actually lose touch with the outside world. With those who work in a church full time, the only people you see, if you're not careful, are people who already agree with you. It's Ooh. not hard to be light where there's already light. Yeah. And, and so I look at that and I agree. There are some people, it's teaching them, no, 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 you are a minister. You're just a minister at Sukup. You're a minister at Winnebago. You're a minister at the, the bank. And that's, I think, part of the discipleship. And when we say is will be done, the influence part isn't coming in and saying, okay, I got to talk about Jesus all the time and I got to force them to go on mission trips. <laughs> it comes through how you live your life. The, the, the conversations that you have, how are they seasoned, the type of person and worker you are. Now, all of a sudden, you're going to have people, bosses, hey, you work way different. Like, there's something different about you. You can share the hope of Jesus. You have a picture of a Haiti trip. What happened there? Oh, I went to Haiti and served that. You now take somebody from Winnebago with you because they're like, no, I'll, I can go serve people in Haiti. All of a sudden, Jesus gets a hold of their life. Yeah. And so I think that influence, uh, um, don't leave, Derek. (laughs) (laughs) You also just went to seminary. It feels like there'd be a little bit of... Just graduated. Just graduated from seminary. Um, Real quick, uh, on that, uh, but I think this is a good reminder. I know we we may have mentioned it earlier in the podcast, but it's a good reminder that uh, the kingdom isn't in your church. The Mm. kingdom isn't isn't just among Christians. The kingdom is all around. And so it could be at the bank, but walking down the uh, city park, it could be, it could be anywhere. The kingdom is all around us. And Mm -hmm. so I think that's a good reminder at this point in the conversation of like, no, if you're only representing Jesus at church, who are you representing to? You're like, not representing you're like, anything. You're like, just, yeah, that's, yeah, it's not tough to be. Um. I like that you were saying about that, um, that future thing. You know, I think sometimes when we uh, say like your kingdom come, well, that's only talking about Jesus's second coming when he yeah. comes back. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, this idea that you can kind of just not do anything, not just passive aggressive, but straight up passive. You're mm-hmm. just done. Yeah. You're waiting for the second coming. And we kind of forget that the church is not the only place that you meet God. Yeah. The church is not a temple. 
you are the temple. temple. Yeah. You are the dwelling place now. So anywhere you go is where the kingdom can go you because bring, you've invited it in. That's right. Wherever your footsteps are, the kingdom is moving. Yeah. And it, that means you do it now. You don't wait for that yeah. second coming. You you have an opportunity to bring that kingdom everywhere you go. And what I love, this isn't a new problem. If you go to Thessalonians, <laughs> right? you have the church in Thessalonica who you had individuals who were like, oh, we heard you. This is going to be re- returning soon. So we're just going to hang out and not work and mm-hmm. suck up food and do all the things we want to do. And Paul's like, listen, if you don't work, you don't eat because you don't know when Jesus is going to return. Kind of glad he said that because it's, you know, been 2000 years and he hasn't come yet. (laughs) Could you imagine those guys be like, man, we were off. (laughs) Well, I'm pretty sure they figured that out eventually. (laughs) I'm hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I even remember uh, in Journey, we talked about the invitation challenge, the the invitation challenge where there's you get dead. You get apathetic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Bored, Um, apathetic, dead. Yep. All the fun stuff. I had a great Journey teacher. Looking at you, it was me. <laughs> Journey, okay, for those listening, Journey is our discipleship process. Mm-hmm. So the people, yeah. Oh there. yes, if you don't know, <laughs> um, but I, I do. I feel like there's there's a really good saying um, in the church that oh what is it? It's like 90 percent of the church work is done by ten percent of the people. It's even less than that, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, where I feel like there's I feel like a lot of times people are just like I'm going to go to church on Sunday. I'm going to check my box and then I'm going to go about my life because I am not a part of the church. Like I am not in the church. I don't work for the church. I don't volunteer for the church. So I can't be the church. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like they get apathetic and they get dead. I've been there. I've fallen into that trap so many times. Or the other flip side of it, not, not contradicting, but Mm -hmm. along with is it's so hard to do it in the real world. It's it's yeah. one thing for us mm-hmm. to say it here in our comfortable offices uh, <laughs> at a church. You like, need to talk about Jesus in your workplace. Yeah. That's easy for you. You work at a church. Yeah, <laughs> at a church. it is so much harder in the real world. Yeah. And I know that, and, and it's not, actually it's not. It's actually really easy to do it and represent Jesus. But the problem is there's a lot of fear attached to it. Yes. It's a hard thing to, in your mind to be like, I should do this because it goes so counterculture to the world mm-hmm. that it's it is scary because you're telling the yeah. world basically what it's doing is wrong yeah. and yeah. they need to do it this way because this is the this is the right way this is God's way and if they're not all bought in on that that's a hard thing to that's a hard thing to do and it can be very scary it can be dangerous times. well that's why I love the person of Jesus I mean it, Jesus was invited to a lot of parties well, you don't invite people to parties you don't like hanging out with. But when then Jesus knew how to party. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying Jesus was dropping kegs or doing anything <laughs> like that. You know, he, he wasn't doing beer stands. But Jesus, they wanted him at parties. Sinners wanted to be around Jesus. And I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure it's not because he's like, hey, guys, want to talk about me? He enjoyed <laughs> life. He, he knew how to enjoy life. He loved others well, and he loved life well. And mm-hmm. and that's, that's the part I know, and I've shared this before. When I was younger, I was the jerk for Jesus and no one wanted to be around me. And and I've worked hard to be a person that you want to invite to a party and know that it's not going to get awkward or weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I think there is when there's freedom attached to realizing that sharing the gospel does not mean sitting down saying, hey, you want to talk about sin? It's, yeah. it's living your life, having natural conversations, and then using opportunities, those opportunities that God is moving where you begin to get to share your life. And sometimes you have to speak truth, but some of the most beautiful, profound moments I've seen in my own life with individuals who aren't Christian is not because I sat there and told them about Jesus, but when they actually came to me and said, hey, I'm struggling, can we talk? Yeah. Because they saw something different in me. Kind of being the example. Yeah, being the example, and, and not just with my actions, but with my words as well. Being mm-hmm. an encourager, being someone who reminded them to have hope when their marriage was struggling. Well, you guys, you seminary guys, um, in case you actually might even know this too, you do a lot of research on your own. Um, isn't gospel good news, right? Yes. But that that good news comes from the term of announcing a new king, right? Evangelion, yep. Right? Yep. And isn't that like that kingdom comes? So when you go and share that good news, you're sharing that this king of your life, this new king come. I love how that all comes like full circle. And there's a new kingdom. And that old kingdom is one of striving and working and trying to be good enough, do enough, give enough, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And the gospel of Jesus is he did enough. Yeah. And and I'll end with this and then we'll just one last last thing we'll talk about very quickly is the idea of Jesus as Lord is not a statement about who he is. It's about the position he holds in our lives. Mm -hmm. Because Lord, another word for Lord is king. 
Jesus is king. So if you don't believe Jesus is king, and Paul actually says that's what the gospel in a nutshell is, Jesus is Lord. It is saying he is the king of your life. You want to be a citizen of his kingdom. And I think that's where sometimes the difficulty comes is we want to believe in Jesus, but we don't want to let him be the king of our lives. Yep. Well, I, I believe in the queen of England. It doesn't make me an English citizen, <laughs> a citizen <laughs> of England, an English citizen. I am an English citizen. Hello, governor. <laughs> All right. Last question or last question real quickly and we'll be done. Um, Jesus didn't promise an easy life. He promised an abundant life. Kate, mm, one sentence. What does abundant life look for you? Look like for you? It would look like fully walking out purpose and love with God's will. Like, oh. like God's will in my life, I'm fully walking that out. That's an abundant life. Like, I think of how God, Jesus loved life and loved others well. Yeah. That sounds like an abundant life. Okay, I gave you three sentences. Go, Derek, Sorry. one that sentence. That was six. That was like six sentences. <laughs> you had like a paragraph. I tried to explain what I meant. I know, no. <laughs> so I'm just harassing you. Well, um, I'll, I'll just fun. do one word then. Okay. That'll make it better. Uh, to me, it's hope. Like, oh. that's how I, that, that's where I get I'm going to update mine. Just kidding. What are you updating yours to? Three sentences. Hope. Come on, I said one sentence. You're at three sentences, Derek. <laughs> Come on, Derek. I know, but my answer is hope. Hope. But now I'm explaining it. <laughs> <laughs> See, you're not alone, Kate. Thank there you, you go. Thank All right, Casey. One sentence. Jesus didn't promise an easy life. He promised an abundant one. Everlasting. 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 All right. Well, that's that is that is one sentence or one word. Which... I I can dig into it. I think for me, it's. I think if you look at anybody else, any other kingdom, any other hope there's there's an end to it if you look if you put anything else in the front of your life there is an end to it if you put power at the front of your life you're going to reach an age where that gets you can't do that anymore eventually you'll lose it yeah money you're going to lose it and the the joy of having jesus as king and as lord of your life is there's never an end to it it's everlasting that's good i like that that is good uh, mine and this is so funny anything any enneagram would understand why this fits me so well (laughs) joy (laughs) and and if i were to explain it very quickly is when I understand hope, when I understand everlasting, when I understand... Or mine would actually probably be love. Yeah. It's very much fits our personality yeah, if we think weird. about the Enneagram, but mm-hmm. mine would be joy uh, because I want people to see me and go, wow, that guy's joyful, even in the worst wow. of circumstances. Have you ever sure. looked at a seven? Yeah. Seven, <laughs> two, love, one, one hope, three, everlasting, like a legacy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I told you, Enneagram, what mind blown. Hey, thank you everybody for tuning in. Once again, thank you, Kate, Derek, Casey, John Quigley. Thanks for being the silent partner who's always sitting back there and drinking your Fanta like a rock star. No hey, everybody, thank you for tuning in. Until next week, have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Breakthrough Breakdown, a Zion podcast. Make sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Music, and check out the Zion app. Share this episode with your friends so they can tune in as well. We'll be back next Wednesday with another installment of the Breakthrough Breakdown.